Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bears. This week, Colby and I dial it back a notch and uh, bring up some pretty relevant topics that are relevant to the Barony Magazine podcast, Meat Eater, my association with Meat Eater, and magazines, and the current state of our hunting. We talk about a bunch of stuff, but this is definitely a different style of podcast that uh, I think you'll... There's some relevant information. I mean, if you're a Barony Magazine podcast listener, you're going to want to check this out. And that's why you're here, because you're checking it out. Hey, just yesterday, I was, uh, it's the Arkansas modern gun season, but I was carrying my CVA Acura mountain rifle for several reasons because of its lightness, and I was getting back in there a long ways and didn't want to carry a heavy gun. And in these tight quarters in the mountains where I'm hunting, you're not going to get two shots in an animal anyway, so might as well be carrying a muzzleloader. So I carried my CVA Acura mountain rifle. Colby, I haven't even told you this. I fell in the creek on the way out in the dark. Oh, yeah. I was crossing the creek. Yeah. Fell in the creek, went down to my knees. The muzzleloader went totally underwater. Oh, man. The butt of the muzzleloader, including the breech plug, went totally underwater. Oh, okay. So you see where I'm going with this. Yeah. I pulled the muzzleloader out of the water, and I'm like, if I was hunting, mm. it was dark now. Yeah. But would this gun fire? So when I went back to the truck, I wanted to see if it would shoot. Yeah. I've actually videoed this. Uh, okay. And uh, the breech plug was underwater for about two seconds, mm-hmm. which, you know, historically muzzleloaders would be, uh, if they get wet, they wouldn't shoot, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Boom. Good fired. Gun fired. Yeah. And, you know, that breech plug that you can unscrew with your hand on that CBA Acura Mountain, all CBA muzzleloaders, yeah. uh, was tight enough that no water got on that powder. That's shot. awesome. So... Yeah. Anyway, that's my like real life, you know, plug for mm. CVA muzzleloaders. Yeah, uh, the breakover action, love them. The lightweight, like I enjoyed carrying that gun, and uh, you know, it's a 200 yard gun to me, and I've only shot it a couple of times. You know, yeah, uh, and uh, didn't didn't kill a deer, but mm. CVA man, check them out. They've got a great warranty on all their guns and a very full line of all types of muzzleloaders. Yep. It is, man, it's killing me, Colby, that I haven't coon hunted very much this fall. <laughs> yeah. Killing me. Yeah. It's time. Yeah. And W Hunting Supply, man, uh, I've got a new 
Garmin Alpha 200i mm-hmm. from W that yep. I'm about to get cranked up because we're about to start coon hunting. I pretty much just can't combine coon hunting and deer hunting very well. Yeah. And a lot of the places I hunt, I can't coon hunt there. But point being, it's time for guys to start thinking about, well, not thinking about it, they're doing it. Yeah. Releasing Dog those stuff. hounds. Releasing the hounds. Releasing yeah. the squirrel dogs. Releasing the border collie out of your backyard. Wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> uh, not sporting dogs, pet dogs, any kind of dogs you got. I know people that listen to this podcast have dogs. Go support Buddy Woodbury and W Hunting Supply. These guys aren't just business owners. They're fighting the good fight for hounds, for sporting dogs, and they've got an incredible company, incredible customer service. Anything you ever need for dogs, Garmin supplies, anything. Yep. Our friends, our buddies, W Hunting Supply, right? Yep. Vocal for you. Yeah, man. And our good friends at the Western Bear Foundation. Um, check them out. They're doing a lot of great stuff in the West for yeah. black bears. They're a, they're a hunting conservation organization, but they're interacting with uh, a lot of the issues out there related to the delisting of the Yellowstone grizzly. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of anti-hunting activity out there. And Western Bear, Joe Condellis, those guys, they're, uh, they're great spokesmen for us. Yeah, and as we talk about guarding the gate, this may not seem relevant. You may not live in Wyoming and Montana and Idaho, and you may not have to worry about grizzly bears. But what's happening out there is going to affect you at some point in Pennsylvania and Arkansas and Kentucky and New Mexico. It's like these fundamental issues of predator hunting are going to be key for the future of the North American hunting model being sustained. So that's why guys like Western Bear Foundation are so significant. So yep. go join their organization. Check them out. Lastly, Northwoods Bear Products. Man, bear baiting is pretty much over. I mean, it's like yeah. mid-November. Yeah. But spring is coming up, mm-hmm. and there's there's no better bear scent products than, than Northwoods. There's just yeah, not. And so Northwoods Bear Products, they're, they're great guys, great friends of ours. And uh, have an incredible full line of all kinds of commercial scents. You hear me talk about it all the time. Why do I talk about? Gold Rush. Gold Rush. Northwoods Gold Rush. If you open it up in your truck, your truck will smell like that for three years. <laughs> we know that. Yeah. They should make a Gold Rush candle. A Gold Rush candle? Yeah. It's a very Just in- for your house? Yeah. Just manly candles, like dial it back. <laughs> dial it back Butterscotch by, by is not exactly manly, Cole. <laughs> is that butterscotch? Butterscotch. It's so strong it overwhelms you. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's kind of a butter, it's kind of a, it's kind of odd that it attracts bears like it does, but oh man, does it ever. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah, butterscotch, Northwoods candle from Colby. Butterscotch. Hey, I would, I would try it. <laughs> hey, check out our buddies at Northwoods and, uh, Thanks for listening to our podcast, guys. We really appreciate it. There's some changes coming in the future that are going to be awesome, and you'll learn a little bit about it on this podcast. We are at the Bear Hunting Magazine Global Headquarters. I've got here with me Colby the Bear Tech Moorhead. How are you doing, Colby? Fantastic. All right. Well, this is going to be a little bit different of a podcast um, for many reasons, many reasons. We've got some few things we need to address directly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, and those very things are the things that are kind of affecting our current podcasts. And these are all like, uh, these are good things. Yeah. Good things. Um, but then we're going to talk about, we're going to talk a little bit about our hunting season, which, uh, Man, I've had a tough one so far. Yeah. But hey, the the monkey the monkey on the table. Monkey on the table. The monkey on the table. Where did that saying come from? I I don't know. Probably Brent Reeves. <laughs> that sounds like a Reeves thing. Yeah. No. Um. Hey, I work for Meat Eater. Yeah. Have you heard about that? <laughs> are you talking to me or are you talking to somebody else <laughs> i'm talking to you no <laughs> i wanted to i wanted to officially on the podcast uh talk about this because this is public knowledge like a month like three weeks ago probably uh meteor came out with a video and you guys could go watch it if you hadn't seen it it's on instagram and on facebook it's legit of uh of introducing me as a, the newest team member of Meat Eater. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in Mountain Man style. Yeah, so there's like a little two-minute video that's pretty fun that you could go back and check out. But I thought it would be uh, valuable to our listeners to hear me talk about this situation. Yeah. Um, and kind of tell them about the, the structure, the way things work. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The good news is is that Bear Hunting Magazine is going to stay the same and even be better. Yeah. Uh, Bear Hunting Magazine, I still own, operate, you manage Bear Hunting Magazine. Yeah. So, like, the, the actual print magazine is not going to change at all. Like, you'll still see me in there, still see me writing, mm-hmm. um, still see just, e- like... Editorials and stuff, yeah. Yeah, so... Bear Hunting Magazine um, is still intact. And, man, we've been in print for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, this is our 20th year of production. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it'd be kind of cool to go into a little bit of history about Bear Hunting Magazine for people that hadn't yeah. been following along. We've got some subscribers that have been subscribing since day one. Mm-hmm. You know, they have 20 years of magazines. Yeah. Um, but uh, Bear and Hunting Magazine was, what were we going to say? I was going to say that's a, on the phone when they call in, they're like, I've got every single one. I don't want to miss one. So Yeah, and they get real cranky yeah. when the post office loses their yeah, uh, magazine. Yeah. So they call real quick if they don't get it on time. It's like, I just, am I, hey, am I missing out I on just, my subscription or listen something? Listen to this, Colby. I just, like, right when we got on this podcast, there's, a, there's one here that you're going to have to deal with. He said, uh, I was wondering why I haven't received my November-December issue. Uh, I look forward every other month receiving your great publication for the past 10-plus years. Yeah. So yeah. for whatever reason, he didn't get his magazine. Yeah. I think those are the people that see the value in having a full library. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, so Bear Hunting Magazine was started by a friend of mine, a guy, uh, guy named Jeff Folsom. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff and his wife ran the magazine for 14 years. In 2013, I acquired the business, acquired the magazine. And so mm-hmm. I've been running it since 2013. So now going on seven years. Yeah. June of 2021 will be eight years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, the Bear Hunting Magazine is the only print fully dedicated bear hunting magazine in the world. Yeah. There's been a few kind of come and go, not mm-hmm. necessarily print magazines, but there was an online magazine. But, I mean, we're the only dedicated bear publication mm-hmm. in the world. Just for interest's sake, just so people can kind of understand the print world and kind of what's happened inside of media. So about 2000, probably about the time that this business was started, print was really at its peak, yeah. I mean, think about like the 1990s. Let's just go back to the 1990s. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to consume outdoor media, you would have pretty much had two options, mm-hmm. which would have been television. Mm-hmm. That was the start of kind of like outdoor television, Yeah, which was big, which became big. And mm-hmm. VHS tapes. When I say television, I mean just like watching hunting on your TV, Yeah, whether you bought VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. Did your dad buy VHS hunting tapes? Oh, yeah. What Do you remember any of the names? <laughs> Man, I wore out... Okay, so this isn't a legit hunting one, but I wore wore out Jim Varney, The Misadventures of Bubba, whenever I was a kid. Oh, really? See, yeah. I don't even know who that we is. Watched, like TK Mike. No, like you know Buckmasters and like all that stuff. The real tree yeah. guys and yeah. uh, prime prime time bucks. Yeah, that sounds like we watched so many. I had no idea like what they were called, but every once in a while I go back at home and I'll see one I'm like oh I remember that one it brings back memories yeah man I've still got like in the office here I've still got uh, a bunch of my DVDs now I got rid of the VHS tapes because they were just like irrelevant I don't mm-hmm. even have a VHS player anymore yeah. VCR yeah um, but man there was a time when that was like a main way to consume outdoor media was yeah. through the television mm-hmm. or number two magazines yeah like man I grew up on magazines, and, mm-hmm. and lo- most people did if they were consuming media before, let's say, 2005. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, you know, so like people that are like in their 20s probably weren't as focused on magazines. Mm-hmm. But I'm still amazed at how much magazines have infused the culture. Like, I was at the, for instance, I was at the dentist the other day, mm-hmm. and, uh, he was talking about teeth whitening and he was like, 
Now, if you were going to be on the cover of a magazine, we would do this. <laughs> and yeah, it like in his mind, like uh, he was a little bit older guy. Yeah, like the pinnacle of like someone that would need like really white teeth and a good smile would be someone that was on the cover of a magazine. Yeah, very visible and put together. Well, but my point is, is that like uh, still people. People say, "Oh man, they're you're gonna put that in a magazine," or yeah. you know, like magazine is still like this iconic prestige, yeah, place yeah. of prestige in just about anything. The cover of a magazine, cover, yeah. Okay, so turns out the internet came along, Colby, mm-hmm. and the internet. I remember I graduated high school in 1998, mm-hmm. and I remember as a senior them having us set up email addresses, and I remember the words coming out of one of my teachers' mouths about the World Wide Web, mm-hmm. WWW, mm-hmm. and so that was 1998, and it was like, what? Mm-hmm. Really? The internet? Email? Huh. Yeah. And then I went to college, graduated college in 2005-ish, and uh, you know, by about 2005, like the internet was like rolling mm-hmm. um as the internet began to roll magazines began to lose their relevance mm-hmm. for mainstream distribution of information yeah i would say probably 2013 ish would have been like into this day I mean, by 2013, like, the internet had changed the world so much so that it would never go back to what it was. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, by then, most magazines were, like, the fluff of the magazine world was gone. Mm -hmm. Like, the fringe magazines that weren't that great, that didn't have, that weren't going to make it, had already died. Yeah. By 2013, the magazines that were going to make it, pretty much we're still there mm-hmm. because there was there's always what we found is there's always this percentage of people that want to get a print magazine yeah that want to have something shipped to their door that mm-hmm. want to have something that they can hold that mm-hmm. want to have something that's not digital that they're looking at that's burning holes in their brain mm-hmm. you know and uh, so here we are in 2020 mm-hmm. and the magazine's still going strong yeah we've got this is this is what amaze people is we've pretty much had the same number of subscribers since like the very beginning mm-hmm. until 2020. Yeah, like our numbers have remained relatively stable, mm-hmm. and that's amazing to me. Yeah, because people sometimes hear that I have a magazine and they're like, "Oh man, that's a tough business." Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's been a good. It's it's worked for us. Yeah, and it's been a good way to disseminate information mm-hmm. and people. Are still and I'm 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 revealing all my cards here. People are still willing to pay for a print magazine. Yeah, they're not willing to pay for a subscription to our YouTube channel. <laughs> think you know you think about true. it. It's true. Like they like if we started selling subscriptions to our YouTube channel, like uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, I don't yeah. think. I mean, we do have digital subscriptions, like you know through Maxter, but right, right, yeah. right. But that's just to the actual like print, so you can have it on your on your phone and stuff. You know. Yeah. Like the same thing that you would get in your hand, you could have it on your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But I, I say all that, I'm describing Bear Hunting Magazine just because we've never really like officially talked about it. But Bear Hunting Magazine is usually like a 76-page, full-color magazine, columns. Um, and it's all going to be the same. I started yeah. off talking about Meat Eater. So, <laughs> yeah. But I just wanted to say that Bear Hunting Magazine is going to – yeah persist in its current form and even mm-hmm. be better um colby's been writing some for us been doing some uh our, we we usually we almost always have a re- well we always have a recipe yeah a big uh recipe with a, like photo essay recipe legendary bearhound columns um all kind of stuff mm-hmm. meat eater meat i work eater. for meat eater yep so uh what i'm going to be doing for meat eater and the one thing that is changing is uh, um, at some point mm-hmm. in the future that's as vague as I'll be Yeah, is that uh, I'm going to be doing a podcast for Meat Eater mm-hmm. but the good news is is that the people that listen to this podcast mm-hmm. w- keep getting it won't have to do anything different like yeah. if you're subscribed to this podcast mm-hmm. just one day you're going to wake up and it's going to be different yeah and it's going to be awesome yeah uh, that's pretty much all 
that I'll say about it. <laughs> um, yeah. But the 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 meat eater platform of podcasts, you know, meat eater has Steve Ranella's meat eater podcast, yep, which is the biggest podcast in hunting by far. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, cows we can review, review, yeah, which is always a top five, if not top two or three podcasts in the hunting world. Mm-hmm. Mark Kenyon's Wired to Hunt, yep. which is always in the top. I've seen it number two. I've seen it number five. Mm-hmm. Mark Kenyon's podcast is a meteor podcast. Uh, ben O'Brien's Hunting Collective uh, is always a top tier podcast. Yep. And then Remy Warren. Remy Warren's Cutting the Distance is all basically Meteor kind of like dominates the podcast world, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool because yep. guess what, boys? Our podcast is going to be with those guys and, uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, so more of your friends will you'll be able to talk to about the podcast you listen to because <laughs> maybe they'll listen to <laughs> they'll it too. Listen to it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so yeah, there's going to be some changes. Going to be some changes in content. Like it's it's going to be totally different. Yeah. So man, all all exciting. anybody that would be listening to this right now would kind of be like our core guys that came in when when we are are as we are. Yeah. So man. You can help us just by just keep listening, keep following, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know when the the moment is going to be because yeah. we're we're working hard kind of behind the scenes on a bunch of stuff right now. Yeah, but it's cool. But what you can see that I am doing for mediators, I'm writing some articles for them, mm-hmm. and I'm, we're doing some video work for them. Yep. Uh, there's a cool video up right now on shock pouching a deer, mm-hmm. which uh, James Lawrence, my old mountain man buddy, he uh, his grandmother taught him how to carry out a deer on his back. Cool grandma. Cool grandma. Yeah. And so, like we did a video on that. That's that's come out. That's on the meteor website. It's on meteor Facebook and Instagram and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm doing some writing for them. Uh, wrote an article about uh, how not to be a public land knucklehead. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's some there's some cool stuff coming out, and uh, everybody yep. can check it out. So that's that's all I got on that for now. Yeah. Um. Hey, hunting season. Tell me, Colby, you killed a. Uh, you had a good season. Yeah, yeah, I've had a good season so far. I've got uh I got that that bear at the be- opening weekend of of bear season, archery season. And then uh I end up getting a doe with my bow and then I got two bucks with my muzzleloader. Yeah. Yeah, so Tell us about the the bucks, like kind of like bucks. you know, is your is some family land down yeah. in southwest Arkansas? Yeah, some private land uh that a cousin of mine owns. And so uh yeah, I end up getting the uh the a buck that morning in the same stand that I got the doe out of. And uh you know, I this year I decided, oh man, I'm I I didn't really do much last year. I need to put some meat in the freezer. And so uh I felt like I really needed to come out pretty strong. And so I uh I was just I was there and there was a doe and a fa- and a yearling. Um still had a few spots on it. Just wandering around and then the doe kind of, you know, kind of winded me a little bit or not winded me. She looked up and she, she saw something she didn't like and she jumped, jumped back out of scene or I couldn't see her. And then, uh, I, I heard what I thought was her coming back in, uh, to where the yearling is. And then she, uh, turned out, grew some antlers. <laughs> mm. So I look over, I'm like, wait, she looks different. That's a dude. <laughs> so, so anyways, uh, I was debating whether or not I was going to take him just because it was like opening day of muzzleloader season. This is like way too easy. And then, uh, but then I was like, well, I'll just take advantage of the situation. <laughs> yeah. Put some meat in the freezer. And so I, uh, I, I was able to get him, you know, he didn't, he didn't run off too far and then, uh, yeah, got him and then. We've had some bucks that were that were really we we didn't really have many pictures of that buck and he wasn't very big but you know it just felt like a good one to take out he had a, like a few like small kickers off the ba- off of his base and stuff it was just you know he was mm-hmm. kind of, he was a I think a seven point mm-hmm. yeah and so then uh, that evening my dad and I we had been seeing 
uh, looking at, we looked at our trail cameras the, the night before and one particular trail camera, there was this good buck coming in, uh, pretty early in the, in the afternoon. Like he was consistently coming out around, uh, three o'clock, three o'clock, three thirty, And so we were just like, man, that's a good buck. And my dad was like, that's my buck. So we knew where he was going to hunt. Then as we continued looking at the pictures, there was a bachelor group of, of bucks that had some good bucks in it coming in later in the evening. And so that deer that dad was hunting was consistently there. And then another group would, would come in and join him. And just, we would get pictures of, I think there was like five different bucks. Really? Still hanging together? Still during hanging together season. during muzzleloader season, which we were, you know, it's like, what are they doing? Huh. Well, and so uh, we decided that we weren't going to hunt there. We had checked the camera the night before. We decided that we shouldn't hunt there that morning because they, they might be there, might not. We didn't want to bump anything. Right. And so we didn't hunt there. Well, that afternoon after I shot my buck, my dad was just like, hey, why don't we just sit together over here? You know, mm-hmm. he's like, if that buck comes out, I'll shoot it. If anything else comes out, it's yours, you know. And so, you know, 3 o'clock, 3.30 rolls around. We don't see this buck. And then right around 5.00. I look up and that buck is just standing there looking at us. We were sitting on the ground, and uh, right as I look over and that buck's looking at us, my dad just like he'd seen him before because he was in a better spot, and uh, you know just got his buck. <laughs> so mm. we got there. So we, he didn't say like, "There he is, Colby." No, no, no. He just shot. I just looked up and as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Man, I saw the rack before I saw the buck," and then it just took off, and. Uh, or it didn't take off. I don't know why I said that. But in my mind, it was about to take off. And and I just seen him drop. <laughs> yeah. So dad's all excited. We go and we drag it off. And then we just sit there. And it wasn't, it was probably an hour later, maybe a little longer than that. Uh, my dad sees deer moving behind us. And so I stand up and look. Or I don't stand up. I You know, I just get kind of crouched and turn around. And I see, uh, I see a buck, and then I see a doe, and they kind of go out of sight. And then, just not long later, I just see a rack coming up above the above the vegetation. It's one of those pictures that you just you always want to see, but mm-hmm. you, you know I've never actually seen it play out that way. And he was just coming lateral to us, and just I just see this rack, and then all of a sudden I see the head, and all of a sudden I see the deer, and so I uh, I was like. As soon as he's in the opening, I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to pull the trigger. This is a good buck. How long is this after your dad had shot? It's probably an hour and a half. Oh, really? So y'all just sat there? Yeah, we just sat there. We went We went and drugged the buck away from, from where he was. And then, okay, so y'all walked down there to the buck. Yeah, checked it out, make sure everything was good, and then we decided to drag him away um, from where we were getting pictures of these other bucks, too. And so, uh, anyways, this buck was coming up, and the wind was perfect. I mean, yeah. the wind couldn't have been any better. And so, uh, anyways, once this buck came up, I was like, that's a good buck. And so I shot him, and uh, and then he runs off into into the brush. And then I, and out of the corner of my eye, I see an even, even bigger buck running the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know there were multiple bucks there, but the way that the landscape was, yeah. I thought that the buck that came out was the one that I had seen before. Yeah. Um, but it turns out he was really, really like he had really good mass. You know, he's what was much, it? An eight point? Yeah, yeah. Nice eight point. Solid, typical eight point. Probably, uh, yeah. He just had good mass and yeah, dark horns. Yeah, really dark horns. Biggest buck you've ever killed? No, that other one's bigger, huh? Yeah, yeah. The one I have mounted at the house is. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I've never had a buck scored, but I mean, everybody guesses in around one forties, which is good from you know where I've been hunting. Yeah, the one this time, I think. I think Dad actually tried to measure it, and I think it was like a little over a hundred, you know. But Which, oh, your the, first one. one, okay, yeah. This one that this this one this year, yeah, that dark horn one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Well, I would uh, I'd trade a lot for uh, to have had some encounters like that because I've had a <laughs> super tough season. Yeah. Um, I haven't done any good, probably white tail hunted more this season than I have in a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a interesting hunt yesterday I'll tell you about. I went on to 
some public land several hours from here that uh, I keep a camera on a, what I would call a primary scrape. So mm-hmm. like there's you know a lot of different you go in the woods and the twenties of October and you're going to see scrapes all over the place. Some scrapes are, you know, perennial scrapes. Like they're going to come back year after year in the same spot. And these deer use these licking branches Mm -hmm. year round as scent communication posts for just distributing information. Yeah. Um, And I know I've, I've, I've read that and whatnot, seen it. Well, I've seen it firsthand because I leave this camera up pretty much year round mm-hmm. and i have for the last three to four years mm-hmm. this year i started to like compare photos and it kind of happened on accident i can't say that i was that put together but i i've I saved photos from 2018 2019 and then now i've got photos from 2020 and i started seeing very clear patterns in the way that these deer were using these scrapes Mm -hmm. and this place is way back in it's hard to get to i would say it's there's very little hunting pressure in here um so these deer kind of act like deer act Mm -hmm. Um, and i know why there's little hunting pressure because it's very difficult to kill a deer in there Mm -hmm. Uh, wind is tough it's just it's just there's many factors that make it tough but that's cool for deer movement and what's whatnot on a camera mm-hmm. now i've never killed a deer back in there yeah um so i can't say that like it's great hunting because it, it's not been for me mm-hmm. but for getting pictures it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah um no here's a trend that i've seen is that these deer use the scrapes in the 20s of october mm-hmm. that's when you start seeing buck activity mm-hmm. most of it is at night okay about the between Oct- between November first and November fifth, the scrape activity completely dries up. Mm-hmm. Com- completely dries up, and what that would indicate is that the bucks are no longer worried about communicating from peeing in a scrape and, mm-hmm. and 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 putting their scent on a licking branch. They're actually chasing and breeding, tending with does. Mm-hmm. So the last three years. Pretty much after November the 5th, no pictures on the scrape. Scrape's dead. Mm-hmm. Now, that does not mean that that spot wouldn't be a good spot to hunt, though. Mm-hmm. It just means those deers aren't standing in that scrape. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a travel area. Yeah. So And that's why the scrape is there. I made mm-hmm. a statement the other day. Like, a lot of people are like, why would you hunt a scrape? It's always nighttime activity. That's true, but... That can be true, and that's mm-hmm. been proven in some research that like a whole bunch of scraping is done at night. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't that doesn't dismiss that the fact that scrapes are in deer travel areas. Mm-hmm. Like a buck doesn't go put a scrape in some crummy spot that no does ever go to. Mm-hmm. A buck is putting especially primary scrapes in primary deer travel areas. Mm-hmm. So that deer may not be coming through that scrape during the daytime, but he might be 20 yards away, 30 yards mm-hmm. away just walking through that corridor mm-hmm. if you're following me yeah but here here's where i began to correlate this information that kind of after three years um and i don't have the information from 2017 but three solid years of data mm-hmm. is that after about and it varies each year between like the first of november to november 5th that the scrape shuts down mm-hmm. the scrape reactivates from like November the 12th all the way through the 20s of November mm-hmm. peaking around November the 15th with scrape activity except the second round of scrape activity Colby mm-hmm. is not at night but is during the day mm-hmm. and see I would have thought that, that that was like outlier information like the first year in 2018, I got a picture of a, a big buck that I was after, mm-hmm. like standing in that scrape on November 17th at like 11 o'clock in the day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll be darned. There he was, you mm-hmm. know, kind of outlier. You know, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, they're going to visit the scrape sometime. That was just like outlier data. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember that year I got a flurry of bucks coming into that scrape in the daytime in the teens, middle teens of November. Mm-hmm. Okay. And 
again, all this stuff you can read about it in a magazine <laughs> because magazines are important. Yeah. But it's it's almost like when you see it in the field yourself, it begins to become like real functional data that you can use. That's not just abstract, you know, somebody telling you that, mm-hmm. oh, bucks work scrapes in late October and then they work them again after the peak breeding period. Like something inside of my brain clicked yesterday mm-hmm. when I went and checked this camera. And what the way it works, it's, it's way back in there and it... it, it I don't try to be to this stand before daylight. It's just almost not possible for me mm-hmm. considering the drive to get there and the walk back into this place. So what I usually do, try to get to where I park by daylight and then I hunt my way back in there. Mm-hmm. And by hunt my way yesterday, what that meant for me is I rattled on three different occasions on the way back in. And it took me two and a half hours to get back in there. And it, it, it's not that far back in there, but that's just how long I hunted. You know, like I walked and I would come to a a, a good uh, place that I felt like had the audio conditions, the sound conditions to carry sound good. You know, like the sound would drop off into this holler and into this holler and go up the side of the mountain. And so I would rattle. Mm-hmm. Had a pair of synthetic rattling horns, mm-hmm. which I'm making a video for Meat Eater about mm-hmm. later, you'll see. Um, and uh, so I'd rattle and I might sit there for 15 minutes and then I would kind of slip hunt and anyway got back to where i wanted to be at nine o'clock in the morning checked my camera i've got a iphone and i've got a apple sd card reader little pocket thing yeah that i just plug in can check the check the pictures and uh it's it's a good idea to buy the apple the genuine apple one for that no doubt i've got another one and yeah i need to get the genuine one that oh, like you got the the other ones you have to download an app. Yeah. To be, oh, it's junk. It's slow. Oh, it's junk. Yeah. yeah. Get a get a get the. I don't know if they make one for Android. I don't that's know, a, but that's a tech tip. <laughs> yeah, a tech tip. Get the Apple device if you have an Apple. So, check the camera, and then I I already knew I was gonna hunt. Like I wasn't gonna like look at pictures and then decide to hunt. So I just checked the camera and climbed up the tree in my saddle. Got in the saddle at nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. Pull out the phone. I didn't want to check the card while i was on the ground i wanted to check it while i was in the tree just yeah i knew i was gonna hunt there the, the pictures weren't gonna dictate it mm-hmm. but i knew there would be pictures on it yeah well colby this third year of data just totally aligned mm-hmm. like the bucks use the scrape in the 20s of october yeah. for sure yeah in the daytime some but mm-hmm. not a lot they quit using the scrape on november the second okay they started using up the scrape again using the scrape again on November the 10th. Okay. The day I hunted was November the 17th. Mm-hmm. So from the 10th to the 17th, there was a mature buck on that scrape during shooting hours, five of seven days. Mm-hmm. That's pretty incredible data. Yeah. Five of seven days from the 10th to the 17th. Actually, mm-hmm. the, it wasn't, I didn't count the day I was there because from from the from the tenth to the sixteenth, six days, yeah, five days. Mm-hmm. There was a mature buck, and there were three mature bucks using it. Yeah, which um, is crazy for the where it's at low of, density. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's just it's national forest. I mean, it's just like low density, tough hunting. Yeah, uh, and and th- so three mature bucks, nothing major. I mean. If any of those bucks had been, like, right around here where I hunt, like, we've got some pretty good deer up here in northwest Arkansas. Like, yeah. uh, I've got a couple of deer that I think are maybe, you know, they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. These deer wouldn't score good. Mm-hmm. They were just mature by their body characteristics and by the years I've been getting pictures of them. Like, I've mm-hmm. got three years of data, and I can I recognize these deer from three years ago, and now they're four-and-a-half to five-and-a-half-year-old deer. Yeah. No, it wouldn't wouldn't score good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you saw the picture of this guy, you know, if I killed that buck and you saw my picture, you'd be like, oh yeah, Clay killed a decent <laughs> buck. But to me, yeah. that buck would mean like the world. Yeah. Because where he came from, place yeah. is everything. Yeah. Inside of hunting, place is so significant. Mm-hmm. And by place, I mean um, geographic location that a human is connected to by many, many, many factors. Mm-hmm. He's connected to it culturally by you know, my dad hunted there. You're connected to it um, by just your your history with that place. You know, 
you've hunted there for so long mm-hmm. you're connected to the land connect the place you 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 know places everything yeah like you t- that's that's why uh uh a deer on a high fence ranch doesn't mean as much mm-hmm. i mean uh you know what i'm saying like yeah. if, you, if you went and bought a bought deer a hunt, hunt yeah. on, a, on a high fence ranch yeah it's like what does that place mean to you as mm-hmm. a hunter yeah uh not much yeah and yeah. uh that's why you can go to a place and maybe not have great deer, but it mm-hmm. be real significant. And that hunt could be translated into any species. You know, mm-hmm. there are just places that are significant. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of I'm kind of intrigued by this idea of place and hunting mm-hmm. because nobody's coming to Arkansas to hunt trophy deer. Mm-hmm. I would rather kill a deer back in where I'm talking about. As I, I would trade every deer I've killed in Canada for a big one back over there mm-hmm. people have heard me say that and they think i'm crazy uh, really I, I killed 160 inch deer in manitoba canada last year that I, I didn't even mount i got it on a you know euro mounted it mm-hmm. and that deer is valuable to me yeah uh it's it's valuable because i've now gone to manitoba several times mm-hmm. i do feel connected to that place through the people that i know there you mm-hmm. know the the guy we hunt with has become like a friend now yeah. Like there's some, I've, I feel like I'm starting to kind of like set my roots there. Mm-hmm. So there's value in that. Yeah. But place and hunting is almost always connected back to human relationship. Mm-hmm. I find that interesting. Yeah. And analyze that. Like somebody listening to this, think about that. Like the places that you love to hunt, mm-hmm. why do you love to hunt there? Is it just because it's good hunting? And I, as much as anybody want to kill stuff when I hunt. Mm-hmm. I don't just go on nostalgic hunts and love like eating tags. No, I want to <laughs> kill stuff. Yeah. But I bet money if you think about the places that you love to hunt that 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 love that is connected to success you've had there but it's also connected to people. Mm-hmm. And I know the some of the places I love to hunt are always connected to people. Yeah. I know the place that, that you know I shot deer this year. I mean, it has a lot of memories. Like my dad and I both killed our first muzzleloader bucks the same morning there, you know. Yeah. And so realizing that there's a connection to, to just events like that and memories. Sitting down with him hunting, you know, hunting deer together. It's like how often are we going to do that, you know? And so it's like after he shot that first buck, I knew it's like whatever walks out, I'm going to shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Just because it's like punching that memory, you know. Yeah. And so for me this year, it was like. You know, every everything that I got this year, well, the bear, I was surrounded by people. And then yeah. with the deer, it was, it was you know, less people. It was it was just building stuff with my dad. Yeah. And so, but those same memories have been built inside of, like, public land areas, too, you know, or on the river or whatever. And so I find that a lot of my, my value is assigned to, like, places I've been with, like, on a hunt with dad or, or someone else. So, like... Even though I'm living in Northwest Arkansas right now, I don't have like a a huge drive to find a place to hunt around here because I'm not connected to it yet. Yeah, you know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and you got connections. You got connections down there. Yeah, yeah. Well, this. So getting back to my hunt, I I I got in the stand at nine o'clock, and it was a very exciting feeling to check that camera, and there had been a big nice shooter buck there the day before the 16th of november at 2 p.m mm-hmm. um and what's interesting again is these the trend is is these mid-november this mid-november scrape activity is during the day yeah which is better than the the late october scrape activity mm-hmm. that's a trend for this spot i i don't i can't say that that would i've not noticed that trend other places mm-hmm. but like I don't get a lot of nighttime scrape activity there during mid-November. It's it's always this midday stuff. M- yeah. Almost all of it midday, not even late in the morning, late in the evening. Some mm-hmm. of that could be lunar phase or whatnot, but there's a trend from 2018, 2019, 2020. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping to be able to get back in there sometime just in the next few days. Mm-hmm. We'll see if I can. Um, I've already spent so much of my hunting right here in northwest Arkansas uh, and don't have anything to show for it other mm-hmm. than a, one encounter with a really nice deer. Actually, two really good encounters with deer that with my bow, and I, I just wasn't able to kill the deer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to use that 
intel in the future. Mm-hmm. Like I feel this this is the kind of place it's hard for me to go scout. Like I, I don't just like go in there and scout and go. Well, it's not very good hunting. It's the kind of place that you make up your mind you're going to go hunt and you just go hunt it no matter what. Like yeah. you're not just going to go visit that spot very easily. Or yeah. me being a couple hours away from it at least. Mm-hmm. If I lived down there, maybe it'd be different. But uh, like next year, I'm going to keep that camera up there, and I'm just going to plan on being hunting that spot. Mm-hmm. November thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth. Yeah. And if three anything days. is like the trend of the last three years, there's most likely going to be buck activity in there. And also, that trend is significant and substantial because all three of those years were very different mm-hmm. with mass crop, with weather. Mm-hmm. with everything yeah but that scrape activity remained the same mm-hmm. what that tells me is is that uh you know when these deer okay let me go back the thing that remains constant and that is that it that is almost unchanging is the peak breeding period of any given time because that is biology and evolution at its finest state Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk about that word evolution here in a minute. I will. I'll, I'll kind of qualify that statement. But uh, like font, peak fawn survival is what dictates conception. Mm-hmm. And so by this analysis that I have, clearly bucks are breeding does from about November the 5th to about November the 12th. Mm-hmm. And research backs that in Arkansas as for the at least the highland regions, the mountain regions, being peak breeding dates. Yeah. Now, down in areas, and this is all super interesting, down in areas influenced by the flooding of the Mississippi River, peak breeding dates are much later. Hmm. And could, do you know why? Have you ever heard me? Heard I haven't heard you break it down, but no. I, well, I would think it's because of rainfall. Well, it's, it's because of seasonal spring flooding. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Like, so... Uh, gestation period of a doe, I think, is 202 days. So in the mountains and highland, the, the the highland areas of Arkansas, Washita, Ozark Mountains, you know, average doe, let's say she's getting bred on November the 8th. Well, 202 days from that is going to end up being somewhere around June the 1st. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't done the math in my head in a couple of years. But from we start seeing fawns about, you know, g- any given time from a week after to a week before June the 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the whitetail breeding period is a, is, a, is a gradient scale. Like some does will come in and get bred in late October. Mm-hmm. Like that for sure happens. Because I have seen fawns on the ground in like early to mid-May in Arkansas, mm-hmm. which you do the math backwards and it's like, holy smokes. Mm-hmm. That fawn was that doe was bred early. Mm-hmm. Most of them are, bre- are are dropping in June, and I, I, my math may be wrong. I wasn't planning on talking about this. Yeah, it may be later in June that two hundred and two days from like November the eighth or something. Mm-hmm. But my scrape activity shows that those bucks are with does. They're not worried about scrapes by about November the twelfth. Most of those does are bred. Mm-hmm. These bucks are back to work in scrapes, and that scrape is the place where they're communicating about. Yeah. You know, does are communicating that they're in estrus. Bucks are communicating. So, anyway, yeah. I'm going to take this intel and use it in years to come mm-hmm. because that is something that is consistent is that breeding date. Yeah. Like, weather could change. Mass crop could change. They could clear cut that place. Uh, like, everything could change, but that peak breeding date, isn't going to change mm-hmm. and uh, i think sometimes as hunters uh we get lost in the in the details of the moment i do mm-hmm. like of weather of looking for deer sign and or, or or looking at our app that tells us if it's a good day to deer hunt or not i got one buddy who will remain unnamed who's like deer cast says it's going to be a good day to hunt you think it's going to be good and I'll be like, I don't really care what DeerCast says. If you can go hunting today, go hunting. Yeah. Like it's November the 9th. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, so, you know, there's 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 some things that just remain the same, which is going to be that peak breeding time. You need to be in the woods. Mm-hmm. And by the time this podcast comes out, uh, 
some of that will be over and we'll kind of be kind of towards the post rut here. Mm-hmm. Doggone it, Colby. I was going to talk about the Mississippi River, and I didn't. Mississippi River, the mighty Mississippi. Uh, well, I was going to talk about why it, it's the the reason the rut is later in mm-hmm. Mississippi. Well, in areas influenced by the Mississippi River and the Delta regions of the South mm-hmm. is because of seasonal flooding in the spring. Mm-hmm. So, if does are dropping fawns in mid May, which is like peak rain season, all those bottomlands flood. Yeah. So their rut is later. It's a month later. I mean, mm-hmm. like the peak rut for my buddies down in southeast Arkansas is like mid-December. Really? Early to mid-December. Oh, peak rut. Like mm-hmm. right now, it's like not even much going on down there with the rut. Yeah. Mid-December, bucks are chasing, bucks are breeding. It's crazy. And those fawns are getting an extra month for the water to recede because – and and that all is dictated by – if you think about the process, the biological process, there were does that were bred on November the 5th down there in uh, in the lowland river country, mm-hmm. and they had fawns that drowned. Yeah. So that does genes, her DNA that dictated when she came into estrus, which would be genetic and hereditary. Mm-hmm. Like there would be some that would have, you know, the DNA structure. You know, every, everything that our body does is dictated by DNA. Mm-hmm. DNA is like this, 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 this code that's pre-coded to do certain stuff. Yeah, you know, for you, your red hair. Yeah, blazing red hair, super recessive that you haven't <laughs> combed in weeks. <laughs> um, I don't know if a comb will go good. through it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but you think about it, it makes perfect sense mm-hmm. that like, uh, so a doe that would have the 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 DNA to come into estrus early, yeah. whatever triggered that, her genes would not be passed on. Mm-hmm. The doe that had the the hereditary inclination to come into estrus later, she would be rewarded because yeah. her fawn would survive, her genes would survive. So you do that for ten thousand years mm-hmm. or twenty thousand years, and all of a sudden all your does down Mississippi River bottoms coming to estrus in mid-December. Yeah. Pretty fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Up here, it's not as critical when they come in, but it's still a relatively tight period of time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my that's my story. So I sat there and didn't see the buck. Yeah. I, I t- I'm telling you a hunting story and like weaving in and out of like all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I sat there all day yesterday, got in the stand at 9 o'clock, and I climbed out of the stand at basically sunset, which would be 30 minutes before you could stop shooting because I wanted to be able to hunt my way out of there for at least some period of time before it got dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had a fair bit of, not success because I've never killed a buck like this, but I could have killed deer multiple times late in the evening coming out of there, mm-hmm. uh, grunting, moving slow, kind of slip hunting out of there. Yeah. And uh, multiple times I've had deer encounters that if it had been a buck, I could have killed it. Mm-hmm. So I got out of the stand basically at five o'clock. Uh, you know, of like 5.08, I got out of the stand. Legal shooting light lasted till like 5.38 for all the, for just to give you the real details there <laughs> down to the nitty gritty. Yeah. And didn't see, didn't see a buck. I saw one doe at 12.25. Mm. I turned around directly behind me and I watched a doe bed down. Okay. 60 70 yards away mm-hmm. watched her for she stayed on the ground for probably 10 minutes and got up and walked off hmm. but no buck ever came in yeah most shepherd thinks they smelled me which he's probably right yeah uh probably they smelled me and i never saw him mm-hmm. the the wind up on this place is squirrely as it can be yeah like if 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 you check i mean wind indications on a weather app mean nothing up there yeah. nothing I mean, like if it says winds out of the north, does it, it doesn't does not matter. The mm-hmm. wind will be swirling in there, or it will pick its own direction. Like yesterday, the wind blew out of the east about seventy percent of the time, mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't even look at what it predicted. But th- they never predict an east wind down there. Yeah, I mean, like we're very rare. An east wind is like unheard of, pretty much. Yeah, almost all of our wind is out of the north, south, or west. Mm-hmm in the combination of those rarely out of the east mm-hmm. it blew out of the east almost all day 
Okay. Which was which was favorable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's my story, man. That's my story. Yeah. Um, we're not gonna belabor uh, this podcast. Yeah. I, I I don't want to say this because it it, but we're working on so much stuff for the new version of this podcast. Mm-hmm. I've got a bunch of stuff that I'm kind of holding back, Colby. Yeah. Because we had a string of podcasts there that were like awesome. Mm-hmm. We, we've had some awesome ones lately, but you know, yeah. like we were traveling, we were going out of our way to get some great guests. I mean, we had mm-hmm. Ted Nugent, we had mm-hmm. Steve Rennell on Giannis Patelis, we had, yeah. uh, we were traveling and doing some biology podcast with Sarah Lida and Laura Conley and mm-hmm. and and uh we got a whole bunch of great stuff that we just can't uh release yet. Yeah. yeah. And so right now we're kind of kind of I we just sticking local. Sticking local. Yeah. 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 Um I was going to talk about this book right here Against the Grain. Um but uh but I'm not Colby. I don't. I just don't think we can get into it. Yeah. Um. I. I. Man. I tell you what. If there's one thing that I would encourage people to do, it's, it's read. You can. Uh. I, we were gonna do like a book review on a couple of these books I'm reading. Mm-hmm. I am not a voracious reader either. Like I don't want people to hear me talk about reading books and think that I'm. Because some people are. Mm-hmm. Some people just like can pick up that book and read it like in a weekend. Yeah. That is not me. Yeah. I gotta pack on these books for long periods of time. With pen in hand, yes, and uh, and and that's what I do, and I I uh, I love it, I love it. I, it's I don't know. We got to keep. I think as adults, and most people that listen to this podcast would be an adult. This idea that you stop learning once you're out of school or out of college or something—it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're 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 designed to continue to learn and grow as people for our entire lives. Yeah. Um, we really are. And so this idea that we quit like academic learning once we get out of school or something is, I don't know. I don't think it's very healthy. Yeah. And everybody's going to have a different appetite, but I've had to develop a discipline inside of me to read books and make time for it. Mm-hmm. But it's just something I've prioritized over the last 20 years. And man, I don't, there are people that... I'm not well read. I promise you, mm-hmm. I'm not. But I have consistently read for for 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, just stuff that's interesting to me. Yeah, and uh, it's it's valuable. And I'm I'm only talking about this because we were going to talk about this book against the grain. Yeah, ah, I want to it's so good much. Stuff. So much. We'll we'll have to do it on a, another podcast. Yeah. So. I'm working for Meat Eater. It's not changing Bear Honey Magazine. Yeah. And I'm still trying to kill a buck. Colby just went out in all his red-haired glory and killed two bucks on the same day. Just easy peasy. I don't know, man. I guess he's got a silver spoon in his <laughs> mouth when it comes to deer hunting. Yeah. It was just a, a year it needed to be easy. I didn't need to be spending a lot of time out there, I guess. <laughs> I still I still want to go see if I can get a, another doe or two. Yeah. And, uh, I might hunt Texas a little bit at my parents' house. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, yeah, we're about to start working on the January-February issue of Barony Magazine. Right around the corner. Right around the corner. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, man, keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live. Yep. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, 
Enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.